Welcome into the Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Ian Sork. I'm joined by my co-host. And Damn, always I got here. a promotion. Promotion. James. We know Trindale. people have missed us. It's been a long We're time. We're back. We're back. It's been a long time. Um, maybe at some point. Duke Duke really messed up, Ian. Yeah, Duke messed up. That's pretty much the end. No, messed you up. Yeah, it did. <laughs> um, I want to do a college basketball thing at some point, maybe next week, but I want to watch more. Um, I haven't watched a ton. I watched it a little bit last night. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about a Sunday that was an all-timer. It was a great Sunday. Um, James and I actually recently started watching Game of Thrones about two months ago. Um, we got the first four seasons in about a month, and we went through five, six, and seven really fast. Really And fast. got caught up quickly. I think, I think two weeks. Two weeks? Maybe yeah. 16 it was, days. It was really quick. We, we did six and seven. <laughs> it was kind of gross. We watched, like, I think last Friday was, like, what, six episodes? And Didn't, so who said someone on some show, like some employee or something – Ringer or Jimmy Kimmel? No, Azan didn't Azan uh, say that one of James Corden. Uh, oh, Corden! It was Corden. Corden's, one of his guys or someone on his staff watched in one sitting. That's what is there? There's it's like ten 60, times sixty-seven seven, episodes, sixty-seven hours of television, give or take. Yeah, probably closer to like sixty, but that's 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 like that's over. That's yeah, it's two and a half days. That's. Wow. Um, so we're going to talk about the first episode and what happened. Um, we've become big fans of it, and we, we can't believe that it took us this long to actually start watching the show. So we're going to talk about all the main stuff that happened, go over um, some different points that we think can come about. Um, but we want to start with our man, Tiger Woods, who captured his – First green jacket since 2005. His first major since 2008. Um, he competed in the two majors last year and kept himself in it throughout this weekend. Ended up in the final group and ended up taking it home. I want to talk about some of the golf stuff and what this, you know, what it does for his legacy. But I'm going to ask you this: What did this win mean? I think it meant a lot to a lot of people. Uh, you really saw what it meant to him. Uh, beautiful moment. Nick Faldo said it. There will never be a greater moment in golf, which is wild. Um, but for someone who won at that tournament three times and someone who's an all-timer to say that, we, we are prisoners of the moment. But whenever you and me talk about not to, I mean, just to, to compare it to something else. Whenever we talk about Jordan and LeBron, it's LeBron never stood a chance because of Jordan's story. He just had every single chapter that you could imagine. I mean, you couldn't write it any better. And now the same can be true for Tiger. Not that he didn't have a great story anyway, but it, it didn't have a happy ending. And we, he got that happy ending. We got that happy ending. Um, he has a following on, I mean, the things that he does for golf is unbelievable. Nobody else even comes close 
And uh, we'll, we'll, I'll say, I mean, there's a lot more here. We'll, we'll peel it all back. But I think it just to answer the, what does it mean? I, I think it means a lot. Yeah, no, it was amazing. And to me, I guess for me personally, me and you got, we were, we came up with him as we were children. We were watching him, you know, when we were young. I mean, the last time he won a Masters, his fourth jacket, we were 12, spring of 05. The last time he won a major, I didn't have my driver's license yet. Like, no, but I, was, I still I remember. 15, like, he won on a playoff on a Monday. So we were at school yeah. at basketball practice. And we were still, because my, my co- both head coach and the assistant coach loved golf as well. We had we were getting updates on the phone during practice. Like. No, yeah. I mean, and it's it's been amazing when you go back and you read and, and look at some of the stuff that was being said when, I mean, he tore his ACL, right? And then the whole deal happens in 09, and that fallout is, is rough. And then for the next decade, it's just set back. It's surgery after surgery. It's a bad headline after bad headline. And it just – it wasn't going well. I mean, and up to two – a couple of years ago, he said at the Masters dinner, he said, I'm done. Like he said it to those – his contemporaries. And he said that at the dinner. He said, I'm done. And – It's really only been a year and a half since he started hitting a golf ball again. It's amazing. It's it's amazing. And he's 43, and he, he's changed his game so much going back to who he was back then when he dominated. And he's learned how to play with this body. Um, but I think this, it was so, it was nuts because social media can be such a dumpster fire and it was a rare moment in our culture where we were all rooting for the same outcome. And that doesn't happen a lot no, it doesn't. now at all period, social media, especially it's a very diverse climate and Tiger Woods had Almost everyone, because I don't know who you are. Like, if if you're not happy about this, and you probably suck, right? Like, my my bit, one of my bitter uncles hated on him even to the end. Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's about it, and that's tough. <laughs> I mean, don't like. There's definitely people that that don't care, but I, I don't think anybody was out there rooting against him. You know, at, in yeah. this moment. Um. Yeah, I just it's a great moment for sports culture. It's a great moment on Sunday. And, and one thing about guys like Tiger and we're in like, we'll get to like where he sits all time is like athletes like that. They make you feel a certain way. Like, and that's and like, for us, we got to experience that when we were kids and we got to watch that. When we were kids and we go out on the golf course and we wanted to be great immediately, which probably wasn't, you know, it sucked for us because we would go out there and suck. But he made us. He's made us feel a way that very few athletes can. Period. Definitely. And that's Plus, why. I mean, the thing with golf, especially the majors, is they all kind of they they land around. They're on the final days on Sundays, usually the day where family spends a lot of time together. Golf being, you know, it's growing, but dominantly a male sport. Um, in professional, I, I mean, even more so, but a lot of those moments are father and son moments. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what made it so special for kids growing up. They got to see him. And then this mm-hmm. moment for those dads who got to see him with his son and his daughter. Yeah. Um, I think that's definitely a big factor in it. Like when, when golf is played, U S opens all his father's and day. That, so. and, and that roar 
after he made that putt. It was, I mean, I, I know Scott. If Van, you've ever been to Augusta, it doesn't get it's, that loud. It's not, no, it gets loud. It's, but it's not like that wouldn't be somewhere where you imagine a someone's name being chanted. That's just not a place where that happens. Right. Yeah. Um, but it all goes into how much he transcends golf and sports. Hundred um, percent. And this one, I want to lead into my next question slash talking point is, for me, this puts him in the all-time pantheon of all-time great athletes ever. The Mount Rushmore. He wasn't athletes. there already. I think he was, but this cemented it. I mean, because guys like Ali and Jordan, they had the great rise and they were great, and there was some sort of moment where they fell down and they had a comeback. Ali had it. Jordan had it after his dad passed away and he stepped away and was trying to play baseball. And then he came back and we saw that now with Tiger. Um, I think that, I mean, to me, he's, he's cemented as one of the greatest athletes in American sports. Yeah. I don't think that's a question. Uh, if we're talking about where he falls, I think before and after this, you had to have him top 10, no matter what. Just pure, I mean, just pure dominance. He he was second all time in wins, second all time in majors, and the clip. I mean, there was a point there where he was winning one out of every four tournaments he entered, which is just an obscene clip. Um, and then I mean, this could be this could be its own hour plus long conversation, right? Because you got team sports versus individual sports. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You got time periods. Um, I mean, you got some sports before even you know before other races were even allowed to play. So like Babe Ruth, for an example. But what what I I do know, and I mean, there's also other factors you can put in social impact going beyond the sport, pure accolades. So I mean, there's a lot. But for me, you know, how I think about it is simply since we've been born, people who we got to watch, it's it's him and Jordan and, and they're alone. That's fine. I mean, they're they're alone. And, yeah. and not that this is like the other guys and they all happen to be individual sports. I would say Michael Phelps, Usain Bolt and Roger Federer are also, you know, up there in terms of since since we've been around. Yeah. But, I, I you know, and for was- obvious reasons, Jordan and Tiger separate yeah and i was more so just talking about the story part because you alluded to it about the comeback and well that's what separates moment and that's what like really cemented this and i I, obviously and we'll talk about this maybe in a minute but i don't think he's done either he's the favorite to go into the u.s open he could win a couple more and get jacked so i mean i i I think that's yeah no i mean I, I, i was talking to it talking about it with somebody Numbers aside, I mean, anybody can twist the number, like numbers lie, men lie, women lie, numbers no. You can always twist numbers to, to make somebody, you know, it's just the, the first thing that hops in mind is LeBron and Jordan. But the story transcends and like, yes, LeBron has some phenomenal stories, but there's something about a comeback, um, which he has one of those, but like a, it's just not on the level of, of no, Tiger and Jordan. I agree. So I agree. Um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about some of the specific moments throughout Sunday specifically. And 
where this all went. Because, I mean, he goes in on Sunday. We don't have to spend a ton, ton of time on this. Did you have thoughts on where the moment stands in, in American sports history um, or in sports history in general? I had a few in mind. I don't know if you – Yeah, no. I mean – With your yeah, yeah, yeah. second-grade handwriting over there. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, I mean, <laughs> you have to probably put – I thought about this. Number one is probably USA-Russia. That's up there. This this in the last decade, and maybe even going back to last to 2000, this has to be one or two. So, I mean, if I'm going this decade, this has to be the best sports moment of the decade. So, and that's maybe how we would want to do that. Because, I mean, each decade can probably have its own moment. But this yeah, has no, I think, especially if you're an American – even if you weren't alive, you, you got to see the movie Miracle. Um, you read a book. You know how, again, just how many other factors were at play and how big it was. And, again, the story. Like yeah. Using college kids and Russia had won the last four gold medals and you had the Cold War going on. So, it's out of a movie. Um, literally. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with, with that one. Um and again, you can go team versus individual because obviously you have some psychos like people that I know who think Virginia winning is the greatest thing that ever did happened still, to anybody. Is he still, did he, oh, I made sure to text him that did he, did he text uh, you I said back your, your greatest sports moment of the year is already gone. Did he respond or no? He, he laughed. <laughs> um, again, I mean, the, the ones that come to mind, Federer and Nadal at Wimbledon in 2012 was, a great, was, was an epic one. match. Um, and then Michael Phelps. Eight gold medals was unbelievable. That was pretty amazing. I thought um, the sorry to interrupt. I'm not I going thought, by decade. I'm I thought saying. the Federer Nadal match in 08 was the one. Maybe was, I couldn't. Was yeah, I could be off was, on the year. I think it was. I, I thought it was sooner than that. Yeah, we were but in it high could school. be 08. Yeah. Um, Phelps going for the eight medals, especially since it wasn't just all him. There was the relay where another guy yeah. actually came up huge as well. And then Usain Bolt was pretty crazy. So those those were the one, only things that come to mind. Um, outside of the last time that he won, when he was hobbling around and he won, you know, the putt and he won on a Monday, you know, so like, yeah, the I think the Miracle on Ice stands alone for sure, but some of the the Olympic stuff, yeah, definitely no, can, can have, have a run. And most of that, it's in, a lot of this is individual, the individual um, sports and efforts, oftentimes can. To be the biggest moments, I guess. And that's just probably due to the nature of the competition. Um, so, yeah, back to, back to this specific win. Yeah. So, we, you know, he makes it in the final group. And Molinari is a machine pretty much all day Saturday um, going into Sunday. And that front nine, he was solid. I know you think he probably needed to go a little bit lower. Tiger bogeys on 10. And then after that, I mean, we'll talk about, you know, we, Molinari goes drink on 12 and you're, you, you're, I saw your face. You, you were just in awe. Tiger lands it left of the green and then Fina goes drink. And then from there, everything opens up. Yeah. Um, during, during our prep, you said, holes 13 through 16 specifically. I'm glad you meant, I think it all started at 12. Yeah, the, you know the the age old 
saying is that the Masters starts on the back nine on Sunday. And that really rang true, especially once they got to 12 and the start of Amen Corner. Because uh, even before then, we – and that's – like I fault nobody for for not watching golf, you know, 48 weeks of the year, maybe even 49 or maybe even 51. But the Masters – for television viewing purposes and everything that goes into it. And you get to see the same thing every year and and not just the players, but the fans also know what these guys are trying to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they do it and sometimes they can't. I just, and like the back and the fourth and how many stars were at the top. I mean, you see the guys that were one stroke behind him, Dustin Johnson, Xander Shoffley and Brooks Kepka. Those are, I mean, two of those are under 30, Dustin's older than 30, but three guys that, are young guns and either right before their prime or in their prime. Just, I mean, it's just a, like the, the view. It's just amazing television. It, was. it really is. Even if you're, if you're not a sports fan, because you have the drama and the intrigue. So yeah, it really started at 12. Cause you had Kepka, Finau, Poulter was in it, but that, that really put him out. Finau that put him out as well. So you had Molinari and Kepka who also went drink. And then you have Tiger who goes, plays it safe. We heard Nance talk about how Jack always said, if you're winning doubt, you know, aim in between the bunkers. I, some brought up, I found it pretty cool to think about it. What if Tiger had the box and he was the first one to step on the tee box and he did that same exact shot? Because that was his game plan. I don't know if he was going to let Molinari change. I don't know if he was going to go for the pin and then he saw him go drink. But from Molinari's standpoint, who was playing pretty conservatively all day, he had, after the round he said that he learned from this. He said he needed to be more aggressive. How interesting would it have been if Tiger did the same exact shot Molinari went after and well, didn't even think about going for the pick? Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Tiger did the drink there one time all weekend. I mean, we saw him on 12. On- Most people don't. It's the yeah, pressure of Sunday. Like what I'm saying, though, is – being up two, sure. if Tiger yeah. went first, just because you know the person yeah. who goes first is whoever had the best score on most recently on the previous hole or two previous holes, however it works out. Yeah. With Molinari going first. And maybe even if, if Fina went first, because yeah. Fina went drink after him. Yeah. If he saw somebody else go drink, does he do what Tiger does? That's fair. Crazy to think because, yeah. yes, he then effed up later on. He hit a tree and went into the water. But maybe that never happens if this doesn't happen. And no. that really pulled that, – that made everything even. Yeah, it did. So that started it all. And then I can kick back to you. But when, when that happened, we were looking at the guys ahead um, to break it down. And, and I – not to say I called it. But yeah, you did. we were talking. I was like, you I'm seeing these guys ahead. I'm seeing guys throwing darts on 16 on the par three. That's a birdie opportunity. 13 and 14 – our birdie opportunities, guys. Some guys are eagling that. I don't know how many eagles Tiger has left in him. I don't think he had any this week. No. The, the length is just not necessarily there, but he can definitely birdie holes that guys are eagling. So I said if he walks away from 12 at 11 under, and that's why I thought he had a tough – he had a decent, decently tough par putt that he drained. Yeah. I see three more birdies out for them, for him. I said 14 is the number. If somebody, and obviously I wanted it to be him, if somebody gets to 14, I think they win. 13, they run the risk of going to playoff. 
and, and 12, it's anybody's ball game. And he and ended up right. walking up to 18 with 14 and knew he could bogey. And that's the, that's the thing. It's like, that's what made this so impressive. This is, the, I think I saw this first time he's won a major while not having the league going into the final day. Correct. With all the talent at the top. I mean, it was just nuts. You had Shoffley, Johnson, Kevin Gaudet, Molinar. It was just, Fino even had a moment. And it was just, there were so many guys that could have captured this and taken it. And at least taken to a playoff. Kepka at the end was really the only guy at the end who was going to give him a run for a money run, run for his money if he would. That he, he was still out on the course. Yeah, right. He he was at twelve. The other guys, Dustin and Xander, were already in at twelve. Yeah. So Kepka had a chance. He was the only one still out there to put a little and, bit more pressure on him. And, and we talked about the pressure of Tiger and how it felt real. Cantley takes the lead on. I want to say 15 or 16. He eagled he a hole eagled and then, and went then just bogey bogey, bogey and fell apart. And you saw Dustin Johnson on 18. He, he hit the, the Even Brooks. Brooks had, had a very a makeable yeah. birdie putt. And you saw him right. I mean, obviously, I mean, is it is it Tiger or is it the Masters on a Sunday? And none of those guys have won one before. So you know how much it means to them as well. Yeah. But – you have to think he he played some kind of factor. And it's interesting. You look at his scores, 70, 68, 67, 70. Phil and Jack actually have many more, considerably amount more rounds at Augusta of 66 and under. This is usually how he wins, other than yeah. his 1997 one. He just doesn't have that bad round. He yeah. started and he finished with two under. And the middle rounds, he posted some good days. I mean, day one, he had... And that's what, that's what I, I had in my notes I found so impressive was the putter is what took him to an absolute another level when he yeah. was the guy. Um, and he was the first one to also bomb. This was not his best putting performance. No. Not even close. No. Um, the long irons is the other thing that, that I think separate him. So for him to win against these guys, coming from behind, not having his ultimate weapon, the putter, be – Really, really on. He did sink I mean, some long Thursday, ones. me and you were saying, it's like, I think it was Thursday or Friday. Was he would have been better off being two. 20, 25 feet away. He was yeah. hitting those instead of the six to 10 footers. But, so, I mean, and there's a lot of guys who leave a lot of shot, shots out there on the course. But um, uncharacteristic with, with the short stick and for him to still walk away with it, the intrigue, the V. I mean, it was, it was just, everything was to the nines. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. phenomenal. No, it was. And... He's now the favorite to go. He's the favorite of the U.S. Open, and he's got 15 now, and he's 43 years old. And he's like you said, he's only really been swinging a club year for, and the, a half. for the last year and a half. And I think he's now ranked sixth in the world. Is that what you said? Six or seven. Six or seven. He was in the four digits. Is there any reason to think? <laughs> wow, yeah, that's that's crazy. Less than two years ago. Is there any reason to think that he can't? either win again this year or at least sniff Jack's record? I think the only the only thing would be another injury. I firmly believe that would be the only thing. And obviously I would get odds and I would I would put money that he gets to 18. And the reason I say that, not being prisoner of the moment, I think you and I both like obviously in the in that moment on Sunday, you're still nervous for the guy. Yeah. Because you we want him to win so badly. Um, is U.S. For me, I always thought the U.S. Open 
when he came back would be his best shot um, because conditions and he is still arguably one of the best, if not the best long iron player, he could win a tournament with that, you know, different approach where all these long guys with the driver would be negated essentially. And you saw that last year, he had the lead on the back nine. Molinari was just ice and Tiger had a couple, you know, just fell down a couple times. And then you see him at the PGA post, the greatest score to par to not win a major ever. If that's not confirmation that he can win one, I don't know what is. Yeah. And then he won the tour championship, which is essentially the 30 best guys in the world at that moment or guys playing, you know, the 30 best players of that season. So I had no doubt that he was going to do it again. Now that he has it, that monkey's off his back. Other guys know that he can win and he's playing. It doesn't have to happen this year, but he's playing at two courses that he's already won majors at in Pebble Beach and Beth Page. He has the open championship at a course that nobody's played. And the one that I think still suits him, gives him the best chance other than Augusta because he knows it so well. Um, and he gets to play. That's the last, my, my last point was he gets to play Augusta every single year. Yeah. And you see Phil still being contention. And if that guy wasn't so aggressive, and could putt, he would be there as well at 48 years old. He would be. So I think he still has another five good shots at Augusta and five other shots at the Open Championship. And depending on where the U.S. Open are and PGA, I mean, you got to think he has another 20 cracks at it. The feel better hope that dude doesn't figure out his putter, man. Because if he figures out the putter, everyone's in trouble. And everyone may be in trouble already, but, I mean, if he really figures it out. so. And don't get me wrong, I'm not – Three more would be impressive. I'm, really I'm, making, I'm making it sound like nothing, but three of the biggest tournaments. I mean, we're talking about it because he got so close last year. Like you said, he won that final tournament at the end of the year, and then he picks off at the beginning of the season with the mass. I mean, the Masters, which is a tough tournament to win. For he, he hasn't won it in 14 years, and he wins that. So, um, absolutely. Well, um, no, it was a great. It was a great. It was a great Sunday. Um, great day for Tiger. We're going to take a quick break. Coming up next. So we have sponsors? No sponsors. But we break down season eight, episode one, Game of Thrones. Talk about the openings, the, the main scenes, the important, uh, important, all the important things that happen throughout this episode and talk about maybe what is to come. Coming up next. Welcome back to the Thoughts Podcast. We uh, Typically, this would be the point of the podcast where you do some sort of sponsor, but we don't have that. Um, so Listen to Pearl, Jay. Yeah, uh, no doubt. <laughs> um, so, yeah, talk about Game of Thrones. Season 8, Episode 1 premiered on Sunday night. Like we said earlier in the pod, we started the show about a month and a half ago, ran through it all, watched the season seven finale on Sunday afternoon following the Masters. Um, and that was a tough one when the Night King oh, – by, by the way, I should probably um, preface. <laughs> preface. Oh. Preface. It's good. Preface. Should probably let everybody know. That this is uh, going to include spoilers. So if you haven't watched Game of Thrones, you're probably not listening to this. If yeah, you haven't. yeah. If you, if you haven't watched Game of Thrones all the way, plus through, we stopped talking about Tiger. So yeah, that's fair. You're probably gone. 
doubtful. I think people are going to love this part of the show. <laughs> so this is going to include a lot of spoilers if you haven't watched episode one of season eight or just a lot of Game of Thrones in general up to this point. We've watched everything. So it starts, and the opening is what I think a lot of people predicted. Um, it's, it's a scene where um, Daenerys and Jon are riding with, with their army um, to the north, to Winterfell, to – Basically, stand with them and fight with them um, against the Night King and the White Walkers. Um, and you made the point as soon as it happened that th- th- this opening was very eerie—not necessarily eerie, but it was similar to the pilot, reminiscent, um, reminiscent of the pilot. The boy climbing on the they tree. They actually used the same music. It was the same intro music for Robert. Robert that that was used for Daenerys. Um, and so this continues to be a theme of everything coming full circle. Yep. Um, any thoughts? Yeah, I'll just kind of let you take away your thoughts on that opening scene and some of the interactions we had. To me, obviously, the scene with Daenerys walking up to Sansa and Sansa telling Daenerys, Winterfell is yours, your grace, is very similar to what Ned told Robert, mm-hmm. the pilot. And then we had that very weird scene with John and Bran. Well, we, uh, we, Bran had very underrated line where he said, we, have, we don't have time for this. Before that, though, they're going through all the pleasure teas. Uh, I thought that was funny. That made me laugh. There was actually a lot of humor. There was. In my opinion, the first is, one with someone, maybe it was you, was like, I think they're just, they're butter, buttering us up. Big time. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, there was also that line, like every, and it's crazy, and Brand gets a lot of hate on Twitter, man. He gets a lot of hate on social media. I think he's going to be very important in the role to either defeating the, the, the Night King and the White Walkers or at least keeping them at bay. Um, and Bran also had that weird line, which I don't know if it's going to mean anything down the road where John says, you're a man. Bran comes back with almost, and it was just as awkward as anything as we've seen. And everything with Bran seems to be pretty awkward. Um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's definitely losing. Through the process of becoming the three-eyed raven, he's losing bits and pieces, which he he did say. I can't remember if it was season seven premiere or, or yeah, I a think finale he, I or, think or he, last. I on think Sunday. he told Arya or or Sansa last last season that he's become. He's, so it was actually I forget her name, the girl that was helping him the entire time when she came to say oh, goodbye. The girl, and he yeah. couldn't even say thank you. Yeah. He apologized and made the excuse or gave the reason that he was losing bits and pieces of himself. Yeah. So, which is to be understood since you're literally watching a replay of the entire world. You kind of, it would be, it would be easy to imagine starting to lose bits and pieces of yourself. Yeah. When he knows what's happened and what's going to happen. And I think before we start talking about, because when you start talking about theories and what's going to happen and I'm on this, like, it's not a very good theory, but I'm like holding on by the thread that this little finger is still, still alive theory. And it's interesting that I think brand has to make a decision and I don't, maybe this is something that they're going to explore is that he knows what's going to happen. Right. And he has to like 
basically push people along and say, we need to do this. And I think it's because he obviously went back in time and the Hordor thing was evident. And maybe that taught him a lesson about not going back into time. So I think that's going to be an, an interesting like struggle and conflict that Bran's going to have is figuring out maybe he needs to figure out. And that's part of the journey in the season is what his role is going to be in all of this. Because again, he's allegedly knows everything that's going to happen. It's going to be interesting to see how he kind of plays that side of letting things Does play out. Does he know what's going to happen? I don't think he can see future. He can't see in the future? I don't. I mean, I could be wrong. I I can't remember where we saw that he can go forward. Well, I mean, he. I guess he can see things that are happening. So that's correct. Fair. That's fair. Maybe the next step is seeing it in the future. Perhaps. So, uh, but we had plenty of reunions. John and Arya, the big one, I think. Um, I'll go ahead. And, what were your thoughts on that one? This is the first time we've seen these two characters interact since season one. As we know, John is the one who had needle melted down or forged for for her. Um, so they were definitely closer than Sansa and John were, and maybe even Sansa and Arya being sisters. Um, which makes sense. I mean, Arya was always more of the warrior type, and obviously John is as well. Uh, it was interesting watching it and then thinking back on it from the perspective of just Arya and family seems big and she's back now. And then someone, I think a video we watched or some, something we listened to, they thought she dropped the line about remember you're a Stark or, or you're remember always remember you're a Stark, something along those lines. Yeah. From the vantage point that perhaps she knows, whether from her own observation or Bran actually told her as being the inspiration that she said that. Or just, again, in the moment I didn't watch it that way. But it's interesting to think if, if part of her motivation for saying that is because a couple people know – more so than what we know at the moment. Or like we know it. We just don't know course, who else yeah. knows outside of Bran and Samuel. And it, and it could be foreshadowing a, an event where he maybe has to make a decision. Yeah, you so, you, you think he's killing Arya. I, I just <laughs> I, I guess I'm setting myself up for the worst here and I just You're picking weird worse. Yeah. I that's think fair. it's okay to prepare for the worst, but no, that was that was a nice moment, but definitely perhaps for, some foreshadowing. I'll give you that on, you know, she, it was very obvious and they wanted us to see it that, you know, she's saying. And they're saying it while I think. Remember, you're always a star. Whether she knows, we know. And they know. Well, the scene too was also, it was (coughs) was pertaining to Sansa. And it was, I think. There was another moment where John, I thought it interesting that John basically said, maybe it was to Danny or, or Arya that he basically like questioned Sansa's intelligence. Well, I found that strange. Well, this, well, it was uh, going back to this um, interaction because before she says that line that you're you're a star, it was regarding Sansa because uh, you know Arya said that Sansa's doing this all for the family, and family seems to be a big theme here. No, at the same time, John's saying that Daenerys will be a good queen, and you can see that conflict. It wasn't a lot, but it was there a little bit, which led to Arya then saying, you're a Stark. Right. So. Well, the, the North in general, which I had in my notes because one of your questions pertain to them, are untrusting people, especially of outsiders. And they have good reason to be so. 
um, for a viewer standpoint, almost to an annoying level. At least that's how I feel about it. So they're already having doubts about John. Um, so I see, I just, they're having doubts about John because he was gone for so long. Right. And that's, then he bent the knee and yeah. they voted for him to rule him. So better, better not, better not. The better they don't know. That he's a Targaryen. Well, the, yeah. the, the line is, you know, nothing, Jon Snow. I would say that applies more to the North here than Jon Snow. Cause he, he, <laughs> ha- he does know what the heck, you know, what's coming and they don't. So I just, I don't think. There's enough time for that storyline to play out. The North's distrust of him. No, there isn't. They have too because much there's stress. some, perhaps later on. Because I think by season, I think by episode three, we're getting the battle. And I think yeah. we're either going to see whether the Night King either wins to be determined or loses. I think we get that by season, by episode three, because they released the, uh, they released the lengths of the episodes, and that one's over 80 minutes. Three of them are over 80, but that no, one's the longest. Four. I think it's that's like episode four. No, season episode three is very long. It's 60. It's 50, 52, 54, 60, 80, 80, 90. Pretty sure. Either three or four is obviously the battle. I think I, I think we may uh, get a little bit. I mean, let's, well, we can get into what we think is going to happen next towards the end of the podcast. Um, let's get back to the questions. You had some good questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the John. Oh, we can talk about the Sansa and Tyrion reunion, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> and this is – there's also a theory that Tyrion is going to go behind the back of of everybody because we saw that scene at the end of Season 7 where it's Cersei and Tyrion, and Tyrion goes, you're pregnant, right? And they're talking about what they want we, to we do. Don't get to see, there some, we don't get to see the second half of the, the conversation, conversation where they decide on Cersei, quote-unquote, helping when yeah. right away we knew she wasn't. So we have no idea what those two said. We also watch him watch John go into Daenerys' room. We see him and Varys and Ser Davos have bewildered looks at John riding on the dragon, which they've those three have seen dragons a couple times now. Yeah. So the look, what we're saying and a lot of people are saying is at the sight of John being on the dragon. So the the thought is that he's either been playing Danny all along. Or he's playing both of them. Playing everybody. And just I mean, because I, I think one thing that he liked about Danny um, was he wants she she said in season six, I believe, that that she wants to break the wheel. And I think that's actually what um, I think that's what Tyrion wants. I think he wants to break the wheel. He wants to end this 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 idea of one family ruling over everybody. Correct. And, and what's interesting in the dynamic is if we're to just think about what Varys has said, he actually in his mind, he's always serving the throne. So I could see some conflict. I mean, those two have a lot of conversation. They've had a lot of – we've seen bits and pieces where them on the road, them on boats together, that we don't see their conversations. They're obviously having them. They agree on a lot, but I think some key things they disagree on, and I think that will come to Well, Varys has always not just said serving the throne, but more importantly serving the realm. Which isn't necessarily the throne, but that's it's true. The good so of they the could realm, feel which, the same way. Which about I'm saying breaking. fits into what no, you're, you're right. It fits into what you're saying. You're I right. just think there's a correction to be had there. Um, but this moment is interesting because they haven't seen each other since the, since Joffrey was killed at at the uh, wedding reception, essentially. Um, and uh, you know, Tyrion gives her gives her crap because she left, and they have a laugh about 
I guess the moment, you know, Tyrion says it was, uh, it was an unfortunate event and uh, something along the lines and Sansa goes some parts, right. Which was a funny moment. Um, but the key thing to me and why, why we get back to Tyrion possibly playing multiple sides here is her reaction to Tyrion saying that the Lannister army is going to be on their way. Sansa then responds. Sansa then responds with, "I thought I used to think you were the smartest man in all of Westeros," and that's where this kind of got. And I mean, it was a fun, it was a fun interaction. And I, there's a lot here that goes along with that. I don't know if you had anything no, more to that. I think there's um, some bigger pieces we can get to here. Yeah. Did you want to touch on the on uh, Arya and J- Gendry reunion? Yeah. I mean, we can run through Arya's quick. I mean the. It was it was fun. Oh, it was, get, it was, it was funny the, with the hound. I yeah, mean, we can was. leave it at that. It was short. Yeah. It was quick. It was funny. Yeah, it was. Um, with Gentry, she's definitely digging him. Definitely digging him. He's definitely digging her. Um, and there is some. I think we'll see that yeah. whether in in some form or fashion. Um, did you see the weapon? I, I looked a little bit more into it. That she handed him the draw. Is it a spike almost or no? So it looks like dual, like it can be taken apart and put back together, um, which I thought was smart. One, because she needs lighter weapons. And two, with these things, I, I just feel like two swords is going to be better than one. Azan with her, made, Azan with, made the, with everybody, with yeah. specifically with the dead, in my opinion. To Azan's point, none of them are trained in holding two so the only time we've seen somebody use two really was, was the, Targaryen, the flashback the Targaryen correct crazy so but for her since she uses a light weapon anyway it looked like it could be taken apart put back together so that'll be cool and obviously yeah. we'll, we'll see that later on um but no there I mean it was it was fun they, they clearly got a thing she smiled when he was walking in and then got to talk to him and again so, going back to season one there's a moment in season one where Robert Baratheon tells Ned, "You have a, I have a son. You have a daughter." Correct. So and some people again, said, it's, "How it's just at the at that time it was about two different sons oh, and daughters." Yeah, of course. And, but it could still end up being true. And there's also we don't have to go into this too deep. But there's oh, also boy. there could be <laughs> Gendry could also be the daughter, the son of Cersei, the, which is so Cersei whole, to Catelyn while Bran is in a coma. Yeah mentions a dark-haired beauty right. um and so the thought is either she had him sent away or robert had him sent away because she didn't say i guess in the books it was a miscarriage yeah um but in the show she i mean she she saw the kid um yeah so um okay lost my place here we'll get back to it um, yeah, so the reunions were great, but we need to get to, um, I want to get to this scene, which so we got, when John finds out, we got Danny and, and, and Sam, and we got Danny and John at the waterfall. Um, and then Danny. the other thing you had was the night King and the message that he sent. Do you want to do, let's do, let's do Danny. So those are the four. We got, we got 14 minutes. Let's do Danny and John at the waterfall first. Okay. Can, Ian's, feeling, Ian's feeling romantic. So we have this scene where John and Danny get on their dragons and ride around the north and they stop at this, they just make a quick pit stop and there happens to be a waterfall there. And she drops that line that we could stay here for a thousand years. 
And I think he even replies to that you're you're a girl from the south. And I wanted your thoughts on that scene because I mean it, it's reminiscent of you you very rem- I mean I think we both said it right away. It was like we we have wa- we everything is so fresh for us because we watched it very recently, and obviously the people who rewatched it recently would feel the same way as us and probably caught even more things. But I like right away I was like, that sounds like Egret and him in the cave. Yeah, uh, almost to a T. I haven't gone back and looked at the actual line, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty damn close. And dear boy, in this time instead, this time it was John talking about someone from the south. Whereas Before last time it was, it was her, Eager, right? So you said yeah. eerie. We agreed that one. It was almost, it was like foreshadowing, but like an ominous scene, perhaps. Yeah. One that you like the, the romantic side of everybody was like, that would be, that'd be nice if, if that's how this ends up for them. Um, I think it's more of a, cause they know that we're also they're like, they're so good at this show. They're so good at it. That they, I, I, again, this could also be the hopeful part of me. Anyway, still coming through is I think that a lot they're going to see a lot of people see this as ominous and it's going to repeat where John's lover dies or perhaps this time around it's John. I think it's one of those where they like know that we're going to think that and we do actually get that in the end in some form or fashion. But I could be very, very wrong. But no, it, it definitely called back to that. I want to get you real quick your opinion because I saw one more article I read. Some people feel that the chemistry between those two on on screen isn't what it was with John and Egret and what Danny had with Call. Yeah, no, I, I you actually feel that way because I, I don't. I, I'm like I'm not. I'm not a nearly as a, I'm not romantic with the idea of those two. I mean, I've always wanted to see it. I think we knew as me and you were watching it that it was going to happen. But I'm I think it was, that was more of a destiny thing. Yeah, it was. Whereas I'll give the John and the Egret. That was like extremely organic. It does. Like it almost does. like first love feel. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's fair. That's um, fair. It does help that they're actually like married in real life. So, I mean, that did kind of work out that way. But I'm not romantic. The, rom- the I'm call not- in Khaleesi one didn't get me because that that's was fair. like very – Rapey. It was yeah, a little rapey. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a little the whole time. I mean, marriage. she she started to like play a bigger role in that relationship. Yeah, the forced marriage, like, the romantic thing. piece. I I didn't see. I'm not nearly as. I think you're more romantic with the idea of like Daenerys and John than I am. I definitely am. Yeah, I'm not as. I'm. I mean, they come you together. To sour on her. I've always had Tyrion and those two as my top. Yeah, three no, and I just think that she's. Becoming more like her father, perhaps more that she's no, that's, she's, she's a great a conqueror, and I think she's not a great politician in this story, which is I think the problem that maybe Tyrion has uh, has figured out along the way. Yeah. So, all right, so um, we got the so waterfall. I want to talk about yeah, we get the waterfall scene, which is which was a great one and maybe ominous um, as well. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but I want to give your I want you to talk about this because I think that this was going to be such an important part of. And we have 10 minutes left. I'm going to stop and maybe record again so we can keep going because we have more to talk about. Um, but um, so the scene where John was going to find out about his lineage to me was going to be so – I was wondering how they're actually going to do it because mm. it was going to be tough to be like you're going to deliver this this blow to him and the blow to the audience that's going to completely transform everything that we have that we knew about – 
everything. There's no doubt it will change everything. Everything. and In spite of all the other stuff going on. And like we, we, like I always always think like an, like someone were to tell him awkwardly about this in some awkward moment, it wouldn't have worked. And the way that it played out where Danny greets, uh, Danny and Jor and Jorah greet Sam. And at first it seemed like it was going to be a nice scene where yeah, it did. And laughs, they and smiled at each other. She wanted to think, what can I do for you? And it would sound real fast. Once, once he found out that, <laughs> He basically executed his bro- her brother more so than the father. The brother threw him over the edge, um, and for him to do it, and just the way that it was set up, and the way that he found out with Sam, because Sam probably wouldn't have been willing to tell him because he was so reluctant to. And Bram was telling him that you need to tell him, and for him to find out this fashion to me was such a great. It was just such a well well done job by the by the writers for Sam to be in this angry angry state and just deliver it. And that line was the best. It's not, you're not the king of the North. You're the king of the seven bloody kingdoms, right? It was something along those lines. And you see John just stop. I just thought it was amazingly well. Mate, done. I, I, I want to watch it again now. This is, this is making me want to watch the episode again. We may have, I mean, I'm sure we will before, <laughs> before the, before, before. No, I, I, we're in agreement. I, I thought it, cause it, it could have gone so many ways. And I have almost no critiques on how this show has. And he finds out formulated that way, next to the crypt of his right. father. So you call back to to season one, the last time he sees Ned. Ned says, "The next time we see each other, I'll tell you the truth about your mother." I think is the exact line. Yeah, Maybe a little bit off, but I, I think that's it. Which obviously has nothing to do about his real father, right? Because they don't want us to have any idea for another six seasons. And the the symmetry, whatever you want to call it, that he is the next time he sees Ned, albeit in his stone stone crypt form, is when he finds out about his mother. Another tidbit as well. I'll let you continue, but I didn't even think about this back in season one when Robert wanted to kill Daenerys. John was the one, or Ned was the one, who was against it. against it, and now it makes sense because he probably knew that John was a Targaryen. And I just, I just think, I didn't think about that. Like that's probably what it was, and he's like, "That's my like, I, I can't do that. I'm not, I can't get down with it." And I mean, I think that's probably Ned just being Ned. Ned was a good guy, and maybe one of the most moral characters out of all the characters. It's amazing that he was there for a season and he still has so many, I don't know why tentacles is sticking out in my head, but just like so many people he's still living through. It's amazing. Throughout the series, which is why for me, I think it's all going to wrap up in a little pretty bow. Not necessarily. In its own pretty way. Bow, but it's going to be, I think Peter. Dingle. It starts with the net, the, the Starks being torn apart. And I think it, I think in some way and with them being brought back together, in being some, happy in some way, in um, some way. So no, that scene I thought it was perfect. I, I can't imagine how they could have handled it any better. Um, it came from someone he trusts, which was Brand's point. Um, it came from John's best friend, someone who you know John being a not necessarily a cynic, but tough to convince. You could still see him not being fully on. Like if you watch his he face, still at least how I'm, I'm I'm reading his facial expressions, which is a, a huge part of this show. I think is he still like. The initial shock, even though it's coming from Sam, 
and he's and he's saying him and his brother who has visions have both you know they're putting things together. You can still see some doubt in John's eyes, even though he just rode a dragon. The dragons have like they've taken to him. It was just I mean it, I mean it the way also, that they did it I thought was perfect and. Some people, other pods who've been doing Game of Thrones stuff for years now, they thought it would come later in the season. I thought it had to be this one. You had to start unraveling that onion ASAP. Yeah. And it was at the end of episode one, but we only have six of these babies. So I thought the timing, who it came from, setting the scene right after Danny and Sam talking, I just thought it, it was all perfect. The fact that throughout the entire series, like you said, Ned has lived through a lot. Of this entire, I mean, a lot of the series he's still living through the, in current in this current day. He is always his fallback to everything is what his father would have done. He references his father throughout the entire series, and in an instant, he's mad at first. He goes, "So he lied to me," and Sam goes, "No, he was protecting you. They would have had you killed," and he's right. And we'll see in episode two if maybe he needs to be reassured or shown some proof. So, I mean, if someone just told me my dad wasn't really my dad and that I was this person, I need a little bit more proof than just, just someone let me know. So we'll see. What if it was me telling you? I it's, guess I make up a lot of fibs. So Might be tough. So, um, no, and it was, it was an amazing moment. And it's going to be interesting to see now if he decides to tell – Anybody at first, right? And he's and, and Sam's telling him this for a reason. Sam, there's a selfish, there was a selfish reason to Sam because of what happened to his brother. I made the point. It is definitely one of, if not the most emotional, we've seen Sam Tarley. Oh, 100 percent Which great performance by him. And I think it just raised the stakes another level. I mean, it was just like you have the Night King and... Also, it started with a bit of comedy, a bit of the Sam that we know and love, him yeah. falling in the hallway, like, yeah. trying to be quiet. Trying to be quiet, but he wasn't quiet at all. <laughs> it was good. And they hug, and they, that was the first time these characters have met since what? Season, end of season five or beginning of season six? Beginning of season six. So, yeah, it's been John some time. John cracks a joke about you've already read all the books. Books. And, and yeah. you can see the face. His face was just... It wasn't... Um, so, it was Time-wise, I think... Might want to pause. Yeah, no. So we have uh, talk yeah. about fallout or potential fallout from John finding out. Um, well, we want to. I can just stop and start again, so it's fine. Um, well, no, I'm saying yeah. it's cut off at thirty. Yeah, I'm just saying I could stop recording. Yeah. just three tracks. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll talk about the fallout of what could potentially happen with Jon Snow knowing about his lineage, and then talk about what what does the Night King actually want. That's coming up next. Okay, so um, the fallout and all the things that that could, that could take place from John finding out about his true lineage. It's one thing to not know. It's one thing to find out that you're the rightful heir to the Seven Kingdoms. It's another thing to find out while you're trying to, you've been basically sleeping with your aunt. Um, you, death is upon everybody, right? Everyone you know and love is about to turn into a zombie. Um, and you're also trying to 
you're just trying to navigate through so many different things. So it's a complete mess, right? Like it's an utter mess. And I don't know if there's, if there's like a positive result that happens from him telling anybody, which I mean, there's going to be chaos and chaos is the latter. And that's been something that Littlefinger said. And it's just going to, this chaos will erupt when people find out. And it's just a matter of who and when and how. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first relationship or fallout point to discuss is obviously John. Yeah. You can and go Danny, ahead and focus it right? a little more. I John and Danny. Rambling on. Um, I think Captain Obvious comment is it that relationship will be tested? <laughs> uh, we, we in the previews of what's to come, we see a little clip of John standing behind what looks like a definitely not in a happy mood Daenerys facing the fire. And some people have said they could be Winterfell, but it looks more like King's Landing. Uh, no Dragonstone, really, a okay. room that we've previously seen that has a fireplace in it. So. Clearly, either whether it's taking the dragons to warmer climate or whatever is going to transpire later in the season, that's where that takes place, or at least one idea. I think it's so. I've heard it both ways. I've I think the two pieces that will need to be talked about and tested will be the claim to the throne and them continuing to have sex. <laughs> um. And the reason why I say it's pretty much those two is they've already done the second one, right? Yeah. They're, they're doing it. Yep. Um, some people believe, and this could actually take away from some of the conflict, like take it off the table, but that would still leave someone to either resent or be bitter, which would be Danny's already pregnant. That's tough. Right? So my thought, and Azan, who – has been our, I guess, yeah. Game of Thrones oracle or guide. Resident. Maybe he's our three-eyed raven. He's our meister. Our meister. That's that's probably right. Our meister. Um, <laughs> is between those two factors, you have two people. So four potential, or maybe they they both are down with. Just, I think I think the least likely is that they're both down with it, and both sides, and that they hate both sides, right? Or, or like. Oh, you have the throne. No, I have the throne. Like, no, you have the throne. And they're both down to continue the relationship or end that and they both want. Like, so I think it's one of each for both where I think John is more likely to still like immediately still let her because he's still he is he's one track mind right now. And I don't think even finding this out on the Night King. This is where the mantra comes back to he's a star and he's going to like. He's going to – like he is – obviously Ned's not his father, but that part of, of him relinquishing the throne is where that comes into play. I yeah, think. so I think he's still okay with that for the time being. For now. Because there's something else that needs to be done first, and he's yeah. been the biggest preacher of that. So I think even finding this out is not going to, to change that for now. Yeah. Maybe later in the season. Whereas I think Danny, she's going to care more about that and there being somebody who has a more legitimate claim to the throne than her, even if he says he doesn't want it, right? Oh, so I think she's gonna have a he's problem. okay with that piece. She's not. The intimate relationship piece, it's a it's a history or it's there's a precedent set the in her family. Keeper, yeah, um, pure or whatever. 
so I see her being more okay with that piece and perhaps John being a little freaked out that he's been running around with his aunt. Yeah, that's not right. Yeah. But it was a different time, at least where this is set in different world. Um, so maybe he's okay with that one. I just, I see her being okay with that side, him being okay with that side and vice versa and how that plays out will be interesting. Yeah. And perhaps the baby already being there, John's bitter about that. And that could end up causing him on the other side. I don't know. I just see it's definitely not all roses and rainbows for them this season. I think they can still end up together. Um, especially if there's a kid on the cards, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's what I, that's what I'm interested to see play out from this. Yeah, no. And you, I'm, I'm, you as have e- thoughts on I'm, agree or, I mean, I, I, yeah, no, I, I don't think there's a world where, I mean, I know your dream world is these two characters both survive. I don't see that. I just, he got brack, he got bought, he got um, brought back from the dead for a reason. And they've, kind of talked about that. And then Sandra, the red witch talked about that. Um, so I think whether it's Daenerys or it's their child or it's John, there's going to be a sacrifice. To do that. Uh, the sacrifice. Now, we can touch on this, make a note, Azara high. The yeah. sacrifice could be Melisandre. And I'll explain. She did say she's going to die on this weird Island or weird place. Of referring to Westeros. So it could be her. Wow. Okay. She's the Azora High. No, we'll, She's, we'll, we'll get into the Azora High. Do you want to do all we should we should say stay on this? Let's so st- we don't have to get other fallout from the John finding out. And I think the three these the three old wise men, perhaps, <laughs> Varys, Tyrion, and Sir Davos, who seem to be together a lot as advisors how does this affect them i think it affects very various and do some of them already assume i think various and Tyrion, various and Tyrion. i think various may have an idea i wouldn't be surprised if he if he knew or if even Tyrion had an idea um i think davos it affects the less i think he's loyal to Jon snow i don't think he'd care if he's a stark or if he's a targaryen i think Davos, again, is one of the few moral, like as far as having a moral compass goes, one of the few guys in the show who actually Absolutely. just wants, wants good. Um, and he wanted, he's, he's been that way from the start. So I think he's loyal to Jon Snow because of what he's seen and what he's done and, and the type of, I think, I think Jon Snow is a character that other characters believe in. So I think that's, um, does this, so you, you said they you think they know. I think Tyrion does that play into a potential Varys and Tyrion starting to question whether Danny is well, I think Varys has been. I think Tyrion have been. I think they both have been. Again though, I think I think those are two characters. They just who didn't wants. have somebody who has a better they didn't have another option. Right. There's no other and option. And they still don't know. Yeah. How I mean, do you think they find out? trying to project here you're Jon Snow I mean Danny you got to tell Danny first right I think Danny gets I mean, told you have to first. have that combo. I think Danny gets told first or maybe it's Starks that get maybe 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 Sam maybe it's not even as John is not I, I don't see it being Arya and and, and Sansa because he even though they're family 
I would argue. What if it's Sam though? What if it's Sam? What if Sam just keeps? I mean, the fact that now his his family's dead and he and he and he just sees Daenerys. He has as, some skin in the game. He has skin in the game, and maybe it's one of those things where he just blurts it out again. And maybe John doesn't have the stones to actually do it because John has been so about the greater good and the dead versus the living. And maybe it's not a maybe it's not going to be as romantic and as as well just laid out for us as it was the first time he found out as far as the type of scene we're going to get. So maybe people find out and it's just kind of random and it's chaos. I think it's going to be chaos. I don't think it's going to be like this. I don't think it's going to be the scene where he walks in and he lays it out for, and then everyone else kind of finds out and it's, what do we do? I think it's going to be chaos. I think, I think the last four episodes have to be chaos. I think well, that's, we have five left. We have I'm saying, five. Oh, I think, I, 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 I don't think, so you, you don't think they find, do you think they find out in two, episode no. two? No, I think they don't find out until three or four. What about Danny? I think Danny finds out later too. I think he's got, I think, I mean, this, this battle's coming as well. I understand. So. I think next episode is going to pick up because usually they pick up right where the last one left off. Usually. Yeah. Which was Jamie walking in, Riding into the courtyard, reuniting with Bran, and a very, <laughs> to put it, uh, the only way to put it, I guess, and Bran with Brandon, Bran style, and him staring back at him, Bran style fashion, just looking at him, definitely, yeah. We see in the previews Jamie being like basically confronted how Littlefinger was in the hall of Winterfell with all the characters he's facing, all of them. I think that's where we pick off. So maybe. You're right that it doesn't come up because so many other things are happening. Um, and yeah, maybe John wants to keep it to himself till yeah. they, you know, this battle is won. Yeah, I want to um, end on this. We're getting kind of long as far as how long this thing's going to run um, because we're going to talk about, we're going to react next. This is what we're going to do to the end of the season. We're going to do the same thing next Sunday and maybe it'll be basketball first and then Game of Thrones or something else first and then Game of Thrones or just Game of Thrones. Um, the Night King um, sent that message at the very end. You have the Wildling character, which I break, I, I break, I, I lose his name. Um, and then our and our boy from the Night's Watch, um, Cedric or Diedrich, I think, um, is one of the man, one of the characters of the uh, name of the characters. But they walk up and they find the Umber boy, right? It's the Umber. At least I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Forgive me, how diehard fans. And he was the one that John had pardoned, um, and they think he's dead, right? And he's up on the wall. They turn their back, and luckily, our boy who can just put fire on his sword can just put, you know, stabs him and kills him, and it sets the whole thing aflame. And we see that sign again that we saw at the horses, that we saw in the stones near the tree, where where we go do that flashback where. We see the first White Walker come to life. And the biggest question we, we I think we can have an end on here is what's, what, where do we think that falls into play, this, this symbol, and then ultimately what is the Night King actually after? I have absolutely no idea what he's after. I have no idea what the symbols mean other than there's some connection to how they were created, which was the children of the forest. Yep. So either a, like – middle finger to them or a like slot like perhaps something mock like something at them yeah because we've been told and given nothing other than like the cave writings 
where they're from. We don't know what they mean. We have no idea what they mean. My only guess, listening to you talk about it and thinking about it right here, is that the only way we're going to find out is from Bran. 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 Yeah. Because, the, I mean, in the books, the night or the White Walkers, like, screech at each other. So, I, like, I don't think – maybe he's the only one that can talk because he wasn't – I don't know. But uh, I think Brandon's the only way that we find out. So I have no idea what those mean. Do you yeah. have any idea? Um, I don't necessarily have an idea about what, what it means, but I do think an interesting tidbit to consider uh, the tree. Um, the tree that we saw in the flashback with the force of the children and where the first White Walker, White Walker uh, was created is actually the tree at Winterfell. Okay. And I think that there's some semblance there, and I think maybe there's a reason why the, the Night King is riding south. So, and I don't know. There, I've seen some wacky, crazy theories. That's that, interesting. Because that, that would connect to one thing that you and I saw, which is the show actually ends and he rules over Winterfell. Not everyone doesn't die, but they actually somehow come into agreement that he rules over Winterfell. And if I, I had no idea as to why it would end up that way, like how someone rationalized that. That would start to get me on board to that being possible if somehow he feels this connection towards that tree and maybe he can be reverted back to his other form. I, like, again, we're getting into stuff that you like, – we didn't read the books, so yeah, like, I'm no. sure there's stuff that we miss. But that's interesting that they think the tree from when he has the dragon glass pushed through his, his sternum, that is the tree of the Winterfell and that would have a – that has a, maybe he's from which, maybe losing that that's one. That's also home. it's interesting because the, the intro is different this time. Azam made the point no, that it usually is, just shows there is, though. I meant to touch the on intro this. just we'll shows. End with this. We'll end with this, by the way. So um no, we're gonna keep going. Um <laughs> the intro only showed places that the episode was gonna be in. I noticed that. Yeah, no, I noticed right away it was different, but, but it know, also only showed places that we were going to see. Azan made the point that that's usually how it was, just not every time, or we didn't notice it. You and me fast-forwarded pretty much through it every time. But it was a new opening, and that was the first time I had seen the tree of at that close to like the Winterfell Castle, and it almost looking like it was actually within the city walls. Yeah. I just th- I thought it was somewhere where they, like I didn't – Yeah, no, it was. That I found interesting. I wanted to talk about the intros. I mean, you had that. That was a place. The Crypts of Winterfell was a place. Mm-hmm. The dungeons underneath where the dragon catapult is. Yep. The the Red Keep was. And the Iron Throne was a place as well, which we haven't seen before. So, there were, I mean, that, that the intros do actually tell a little bit about where, where, where the season is going to take place. And So, I, I want you to – I want us to do at the end of each one – Give an update on Yankees are winning eight nothing. Uh, give us an update on love it. Our thoughts on what I see as key people, just fun to like as we plot along this final season to see what our predictions for these people and if they change and if they came true. So how does it end for John, Danny, Cersei, Tyrion? Jamie, the Starks, and this and can, and this is going to change. And we have this. This, this is going to be kind of rapid fire, almost. Yeah, uh, for, for the first time. Yeah, because so I just came up. First time, we're gonna let's do this. I'm gonna say. Um, you can see the names here. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say John. 
And if it's dead, it can just be dead. Yeah. Um, but if they're alive, I'd like to hear like. I think John's alive, and and there there's gonna be a sacrifice to be made, and he's either gonna have to. I don't. He's gonna have to either go against Danny or his family, the Starks. And I think it's all whatever John does at the end. That's um, the most. That's what I've liked. Uh, out of all the things you've said about John so far, I, I actually see that as the most likely. It's but it's him, him having to decide between he's, he's, his family and, and Danny. And I think whatever he does, though, it's going to end up being for the greater good. Like he's going to do like and it may be heartbreaking, whatever it is, in whatever fashion. I think if he does live, he's going to have to. Uh, I think he'll be he'll end up being the hero, but it's going to be a, a slippery slope those last couple episodes as to who we like, I, I think it's going to be a little bit slippery. It's going to get, it's going to get gray, but I think at the very end we'll have an idea of where these characters are and where they stand. Um, I think uh, Danny, I think Danny dies. I think Danny dies. I think there's a chance Danny dies earlier than we think episode three, episode four or five before the final, before the final one, she might, I think she's dead. Um, Cersei. I think Cersei, I think everyone is, is talking about this theory. Cersei is killed by Arya wearing the face of Jamie Lannister. Um, so Jamie's dead as well. So Jamie's dead as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tyrion, the third Lannister. I think Tyrion left. also dead. I think Tyrion is going to go out. There would be, I, I actually am down with that because so much of the show has been a thousand years for the Lannisters. And yeah. The and they all die. Even though I think he's been the one that has been trying to do this all for the right reasons, and there's things that he didn't like about his father, obviously, and his sister and him, well, they, she's tried to have him killed a couple of separate times. So I think that relationship's a little bit rocky. Um, I think he dies, but I think he also dies, and I think he, he's also going to be someone that goes out for the good of everybody. I think that he's going to turn his back on but they everybody might not necessarily see and they're not going to see it that way. And I think, I think, I think he's going to have a beautiful ending. I think I, the quote, Peter Dinklage, he's, he thinks that the way that they, the way that his story ends is just, it's, it's, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to make sense for all of us. Um, and I think Jamie's dead. The star girls are interesting. I think Arya is going to go out fighting. Um, she's either going to die or become a wolf and she's going to be alone in some capacity because that's just been the mantra of her series and what, what, what she's been here. She's been by herself. Um, I think fair. Sansa kind of goes back to being Sansa. I think like not in the sense that she's going to be this scared little girl, but I think she's going to, she's going to run away. And I think Littlefinger got in her head a little bit and I think she survives and she, she's kind of selfish. It's kind of a selfish ending for her in some capacity. So I think Sansa's going to end up worrying about Sansa. And then I think Varys – I think Varys has been trying to play everybody. Um, I, th I think he's always talked about doing everything uh, for the good of the realm, but I think he's more more Littlefinger than, than Tyrion in that sense. Okay. I like it. Um, the tree thing is interesting. Of Winterfell because you wrote down in our notes like what does the Night King want? According to uh, one of the things we listened to, the first go around, you know, the last time that this happened and the wall was put up, I think what ended it was a 
someone sacrificed their baby, some yeah, baby, a baby, and so this this plays into the Azor High, Azar High. Um, I might be butchering it. Maybe you can Google it here real quick so we know for sure. But Azorah. essentially, the idea or the story goes that. This man had to plunge a sword into, I think the it's like Mimi or, or something. Anyway, a man has to plunge a sword into a woman's quote-unquote breast, pulls it out. It is this certain, you know, either the Nightbringer or something like the, the, a certain, This uh, I'm all over the place here. But basically pulls out a sword that that has to be used to take down the Night King. People believe it was a legend, whereas the true story was actually a baby being pulled out of a woman and that baby being sacrificed to the Night King, like what yeah. like, to satisfy him. So the thought is the two interpretations this go around is that Azor High is Rhaegar Targaryen and Jon Snow is that baby slash sword. Promised. Correct. Right. Um, Azan's interpretation is that John and Danny's baby is the prince that was promised. I don't so know if we're going to go me, with that. Me, like, me, I don't know me, if that means they have to give away their kid. I like, if I may real quick. So this comes from the novel, a song of ice and fire, which is what, um, has been talked about. Like Melisandre's kind of talked about this throughout the series a little bit. Azor Ahai is a legendary figure in the faith of Rola. The Lord of Light, thousands of years ago, he forged the sword of Lightbringer, which he used to defeat the darkness of the Great Other. This came at a price. However, as in order to unleash the sword's true powers, he Nisa, had to Nisa. plunge it into the heart of his loving wife, Nisa Nisa. A prophecy foretells that he'll be reborn as the prince that was promised. Now, this could also feed into your theory about there could be a sacrifice to be had. And that sacrifice would either be... John, Danny, John's kid, or Danny, or Danny, or Melisandre. That it would be a, this, like actually a, a literal sword into Melisandre, then being pulled out, and that's what he actually uses to take her down. So actually, a following the what? Because the thought, like as many writings and even in human history over time things morph yeah. right so there's there can be multiple interpretations so yeah. that could be one way i saw that was the other interpretation of azor high that it's actually a sword yeah. and melisandre is the one that is sacrificed yeah that's possible so um did you want to finish up are we good to, are we good or did you want good i mean uh, i can give my answers i i think yeah i think john and danny Actually, they they end this series of Kate monarchy, and they go back to either Dragonstone or somewhere in the south, perhaps Volantis to rule there. Um, Cersei dead at the hands of Arya, perhaps with the face of Jaime, which means Jaime's dead. I do think, though, there might be... Jamie being the Kingslayer, maybe Jamie Kills is the her. one to take down the Night King. The true Kingslayer. The true Kingslayer. That would be maybe. poetic. Yeah. Um, but I, I see him dying. I see Tyrion dying in a, he says beautiful. I, I, 
I just I think somehow he's double crossing everybody, triple, quadruple, and they find out. But we know that he did it for the right reasons. Yeah, I'm down with that one. Arya, I like yours. I just I I actually she I have no idea how her story ends. It's yeah. actually the least one that I have a not that any of my the guesses Jamie theory. Right. I really like that because he's just been taught like people have just been shitting on his character and his honor for like the entire series, and it would be poetic justice in like. Because some, some turned it into Queen Slayer. I just don't see him killing his own. No, sister. I think it's going to be him sacrificing himself to either stop or halt the Night King, which could be – it would be – Definitely. A great ending. I think Brandon dies. It's actually – I think he's the favorite in Vegas to yeah. actually sit on the yeah, throne. Yeah, I don't like that. Um, but I think he dies for the right reason. Um, and I think Varys dies as well. Yeah. So and this is a good updated. We'll update these next week according Sons to is alive. Yeah, Sons is alive. Um. So yeah, we'll talk. We've talked about a lot, but we'll talk about more going into next year. Probably talked. We probably probably did too much on theories because we don't want to take away everything from, um, you know, the next couple of weeks. But we'll continue to talk Game of Thrones. Uh, we hope that you enjoy this podcast. We're doing this one on Anchor. It's not going to be on SoundCloud. Spotify, and it should be able to get on iTunes. So um, subscribe to us, comment, let us know what you think. Um, follow Jimmy T at Jimmy T. Follow James at Jimmy T10 on Twitter. I'm Ian Sork. Follow me at Ian Sork. I think it's just Ian Sork, actually. Um, until next time, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>